The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to today's Barron's Live. I'm Abby Schultz, a senior writer at Barron's Penta, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Deval Patrick, a founding partner of Bain Capital Double Impact and a member of its Impact Advisory Council. And uh, Deval Patrick is also a former two-term governor of Massachusetts. Uh, welcome, Governor Patrick. It's great it's to have you. It's good to be with today. you. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so we're going to be talking about impact investing uh, through private equity and mm-hmm. Bain Capital double impact specific approach to impact investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind anyone tuning in that you can write in questions for our guests and I'll try to get to them mm-hmm. before our time is up today. So Governor Patrick, we met uh, several years ago now, mm-hmm. a few years ago, and at the time you mentioned a through line to your career, which has taken you through law, government, the corporate world, probably something else I'm missing, has been finding, uh, has been, quote, finding ways of leaving things better than you found them. Um, and so I gather that this approach had something to do with the launch of Bain Capital, Double Impact, when you joined Bain Capital in 2015. It did. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? You know, why were you personally drawn to Impact? Well, I, you know, there's so many. Thank you for the question, Abby. And thanks again for, uh, for having me, uh, for having me on. I, I've, just been struck by, you know, in all of the ways that, uh, in all of the roles that we all have, that there are choices that have to be made, uh, just how many of them are, are false, you know, in, in, in politics, for example, you know, nowadays it's made out that, um, you know, you can't be a, a, a good member of this party unless you hate the members of the other party. That's it's just these kind of silly, um, uh, choices or at least unexamined ones. And one of the ones that I've been most interested uh, in is this notion that uh, uh, somehow you have to trade return for impact. And as I was thinking about um, the ways in which, um, you know, there are these secular trends where all sorts of us are making different uh, choices about how and where we work and what we eat and what clothes we buy and how we drive and so on and so on that have to do with being uh, more conscious and intentional about those choices, that there were sure to be, and of course it turns out there are lots and lots of mission-driven uh, founders who are um, trying to respond to those secular uh, trends um, with products and services. And just like any other company, they would need capital to grow as well. And I think what we discovered is that those very kinds of companies were looking for uh, growth capital and private equity investors where they weren't having to give up their mission in order uh, to grow. They wanted partners who were aligned in that uh, respect. And that was a place where we thought we could, uh, we could contribute and really test this question whether it was necessary to trade return for impact. Right. And and you've definitely had some success at that, which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, I was wondering if you could tell us a, a little bit about double impact, what the approach is to impact investing. I know you focus on some very specific areas in North America, primarily. That's right. That's right. Our three uh, themes, 
Uh, investment themes are health and wellness, education and workforce development, and sustainability. And those have evolved a little bit as we've been in the market and we've understood, as has, frankly, the size of the uh, of the equity checks that we've come to um, to write because of the uh, the size and maturity of the, uh, uh, maturity of the opportunities that have come to us. We are looking to do mainly majority um, investments um, uh, in companies that are cash flow positive or have a short-term uh, line of sight to cash flow, uh, cash flow po- positive, um, where we can drive both, um, uh, you know, exceptional return, frankly, superior return and measurable impact in those areas. Um, we uh, we measure um, going in what the sort of state of play is um, using the B Lab assessment, which I think um, Abby, you know about. Many uh, um, many of the viewers, I'm sure, know about one of the uh, uh, widely available tools uh, out there. And then we identify the measures that reflect the impact that uh, that the company is about in those areas of thematic uh, focus. And uh, where we think we can contribute, and we drive against those in a ho- in a host of different ways. Um, so you you kind of alluded to, to this a little bit. The, the field has changed, and and you've evolved since you started in 2015. I'm wondering if you could talk about what changes you've observed, maybe how the fund has shifted, and what lessons maybe from the early days of of Double Impact kind of influence what you're doing today. Well, a couple of things. I think um, at the beginning. Um, if you think about sourcing, uh, you know, there were lots of um, investment bankers and, and others who um, it took a lot of explaining what it is we were uh, about before um, they could kind of hone in on the kinds of companies that we were uh, in search of. Of course, we were doing a lot of our own uh, sourcing and, uh, and we had a lot of opportunities coming in over the over the transom, but I think that has become more sophisticated as the field has matured, as there are more people uh, in it uh, as well. So that's one. Yeah. I think our own um, uh, maturity uh, has caused us to move from uh, focusing on, you know, outputs, meaning best efforts uh, toward getting. Um, uh, driving impact to what are the real outcomes? What is it we want the results to be? And how do we accelerate those results over a reasonable period of time? And a greater focus also on how to assure that when our hold period is up and it is time for another investor to come along, that the mission is sustained, that it hasn't just been a feature of our uh, uh, our partner- partnership, but it really has become ingrained in the uh, in the enterprise. I think those are a couple. You know, we have um, we have learned that the advantage at Bain Capital of having so much experience throughout the firm in so many different uh, dimensions of the choices businesses have to be have to make, particularly in the areas where we're focused on, that being able to draw that expertise to the benefit, draw in that expertise for the benefit of our portfolio uh, companies has been hugely. Uh, helpful and uh, and and uh, has made a material difference, I think, in many of the outcomes. Um, so I, I understand from talking to your colleague Greg Snell last year that investors that you've reached out when you reach out to investors to raise money that that you what's been coming back to you are fewer concerns 
with the financial returns, about delivering financial returns. It's not that they're not concerned about that, but they're more interested about on the positive outcomes. And so you touched on this already a little bit, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about impact measurement and management and why that's become so important. Yeah. So, so I, I'm sorry. I, I did I cut you off? No, nope, you didn't. Go no. already. So I, I think this is this has been one of the more interesting um, developments over over time. You know, when we started, um, we were the first uh, major U.S. Uh, uh, institutional investment firm with an impact fund. I think everybody has them now. Um, there's been a flood of interest, um, and uh, and as a result, investors and uh, and um, amounts of uh, you know the size of AUM and and so forth in the field in the U.S. catching up to, and in some respects surpassing uh, the activity in uh, in Europe. So that's all been really uh, exciting, and I think you know we're into fund two now and um, have the uh, returns to show for that thesis. And that has gained gained us a lot of uh, confidence. So you're seeing a different conversation with large pension funds and insurance companies um, than we might once have had or that we had with family offices who were coming in uh, at the beginning. And a real focus and an important focus on the integrity of the impact. Mm -hmm. In other words, that the impact isn't just a, it's sort of not a marketing feature, but are we really driving uh, toward uh, outcomes. And we've been very transparent with our LPs about our measurement, comparing the year-over-year progress in B-Lab, also talking about the measurement against the uh, company-specific uh, goals that we have uh, we have set and the acts and actions that we and management have taken uh, together to drive toward those goals. And then we tell stories uh, because I think every LP is interested um, in, uh, in the human stories behind uh, behind the numbers. Yeah, maybe you could share a couple of those and some of the companies that you work with. I, I know um, a couple of them are Rodeo Dental and multi-specialty healthcare that's in the healthcare area. But I was wondering if you could talk about maybe them or, or others. Sure, sure. Um, so we, uh, uh, Rodeo Dental, you know, one loves all of one's um, portfolio companies the same. Um, but it is possible once you become a senior advisor to have some favorites and, uh, and rodeo dental, I have a real soft spot for, this is a company that, um, uh, has delivered, uh, dental care to poor kids, um, started in Texas. Uh, we have expanded it to, uh, to other States now, and it's a really hard, uh, kind of problem uh, uh, to crack, uh, to solve. As you know, lots and lots of private um, dental practices with many, many offices um, scale by serving, you know, folks who are highly insured or private pay and, uh, and so forth. And they can make an awful lot of, uh, a lot of money. Doing that in a way that meets the needs of the, of the Medicaid population, for example, is a lot more uh, requires a lot more thought, a lot more preparation. It requires wild efficiency, um, and it uh, and and the model that they have uh, developed is, uh, you know, recruiting kids and their families in um, for the most basic preventative care. But if they find that something more is needed or that orthodontry is advised, they can do that on the same day. Imagine that. So not having to you know, make another appointment for some number of weeks and months uh, later, but really dealing right then and helping mom um, 
think through what her benefits uh, uh, needs may be um, uh, and how those can be met and other services available while she waits for her child to get the service. Just a wonderful, uh, high-touch, really, really thoughtful approach, and it has scaled beautifully and done so right through the pandemic, which is, I think, uh, uh, a measure of just how strong that business uh, is and stronger it's getting. Um, you know, I think of Convenient MD. Uh, we're very, very uh, committed to uh, helping companies that are trying to make affordable primary care um, as accessible as it is uh, affordable. And this is a company that has really gotten uh, that formula or is getting that formula right and has great promise uh, as well. Uh, what about an education? Like what would be an impact theme in education? What are the sorts of things that you're looking at there? Well, you know, we had an early uh, investment in a company called Penn Foster um, mm -hmm. when I was there. I think you had, am I right that you had um, Warren Valdmanis uh, yes. as a guest? Yes, that's so right. Warren was a partner of ours early on and remains a friend. And, um, and he and I worked very closely on, on, uh, on Penn Foster. And in fact, when we exited uh, Penn Foster, his new his new fund uh, has taken it to the uh, uh, to the next level. Right. And one of the issues there was so this is a, I should say um, for those who don't know, this was a provider of low cost online, very affordable um, skills training, um, and uh, and and also um, uh, uh, workforce related uh, degrees for uh, associate degrees, for example, for, um, uh, for people who were trying to level up or upskill their, um, uh, themselves and move on to a stronger, uh, more remunerative um, uh, career. Very, very successful. It grew out of an old correspondence school, if you remember those, uh, uh, those sorts of things. Um, and one of the questions we were asking is, look, this is the intention, but is it actually the case, number one, that the students who enroll finish, and that when they finish, the result is higher income in some new job. And so we started to measure that uh, longitudin longitudinally and make adjustments so that we were really getting at that outcome to the point I was making uh, earlier. And we were finding a number of employers who were looking to provide, frankly, as a retention matter that very service to the um, uh, to their own employees and to help them ready themselves for other opportunities in that same company or in other uh, companies and it's just exploded incredibly exciting way to think about how you build uh, readiness for the economy we are becoming um, uh, wherever it happens to uh, take root uh, anywhere in the country that's super interesting um, one question that came in was from Chrisman, who asked, how do, how do companies achieve their financial goals while also doing good? So how does a company like that continue to do well and, 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 and deliver the outcomes that they need to deliver, but still do well financially? So it's a great, it's a great question. And it, it, it really does get to this supposition. I think a lot of people have that, you know, somehow or other, if you do good, you are trading the doing well part. Um, first of all, we chose these areas of, uh, of focus for our investment because we wanted to invest in companies where impact was core to what they did. It wasn't just a, a nice to have that, um, you know, if you're trying to provide 
uh, high quality uh, dental care to poor children, um, that is central to who you are. And we're trying to make it possible for, for that company, Rodeo Dental, and companies like it um, to scale so that they are providing that kind of care with that kind of long-term health and educational benefit to children um, uh, to more. Uh, children who are uh, in poverty. So to some extent, we have chosen areas where the impact is integral. Um, I think the other implication of the of the question, though, is that, you know, impact more and more gets conflated with ESG. Hmm. And ESG is enormously important, environmental, social, uh, and uh, and governance consideration, considerations, more and more important more and more the focus of, uh, of legislative and regulatory bodies in Europe and increasingly in the United States, and certainly of boards of directors and of uh, investors. All of that is good. That also, it turns out, enhances the value of a company long-term. And so being um, pr prudent and thoughtful and intentional about ESG is in some ways sort of table stakes. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, especially if we're thinking about the long-term sustainability of American capitalism. I think that's a really, really great thing. Impact is a step above. It's how you hone in on the ways in which this company can not just do good because it's nice, but do good because that's central to its mission and, uh, and do good uh, in a way that also generates um, uh, superior returns. And, and you're looking for very, as you said, very specific sorts of impact. Right. In our case, what, not everyone yeah. does, but that's how we approach it. Right. So one piece of evidence that you take this seriously, the, the actually making an impact part seriously, is that you were recognized not long ago, and just in June, from Bluemark, which is an impact verification organization. And they, they named Bain Capital Double Impact one, I'm, right, I'm looking, making sure I'm getting this right. One of only five organizations that they consider to be practice leaders. And this is out of 60 that they um, analyzed um, who managed, I think, a total of 160 billion in impact assets. So a, a fairly large sample. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk briefly about what went into that recognition and what it means for you? Well, I, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm do you see me swelling with pride? We feel really good <laughs> yeah. about that because I think for us, and I, I alluded to this earlier, you know, in, we have to have impact integrity. And um, that's important on its own. It was important to me uh, knowing that we were the first of, uh, uh, of large um, institutional investment firms coming into this space a space that had been occupied by lots of great, um, generous, um, encouraging, um, but smaller funds um, and, uh, and family offices who had done an awful lot of work uh, to develop the field before we came in. And the last thing uh, I wanted to do is to, is to have a, a Bain Capital come in and sort of bigfoot it, if you will, and, uh, and say, we'll take it from here. Um, and then, you know, not do it well. Um, so I feel really, really um, affirmed uh, that the teams work and focus on being serious about the uh, impact, about being intentional, and about being transparent uh, about the uh, about the impact. We've learned things. We've learned things. Um, some of which we talked about um, before. 
it took us a little while or two, for example, to start to connect um, management compensation, a portion of it, to impact outcomes. So we were actually aligned on exactly the same uh, on exactly the same goals uh, and the measurement of those goals. Um, it took us a while since most of the folks on the team who had migrated from other businesses at Bain Capital into Double Impact to understand that these were, in our cases, smaller companies where the capacity uh, to develop information and do reports is just different than in the large cap um, fund. And that if we were going to be uh, constructive partners, we had to adjust to that and not just send, you know, pages and pages of, uh, you know, questions and interrogatories as if there was a, uh, a whole finance department rather than, you know, in one case, I can remember the mother of the founder who signed every check. Um, so how do you get good information when the ability to develop that information is, uh, is more human scale? We had to learn those things and, uh, and, and stick with it. And there are all kinds of adjustments like that. Uh, that we've made. And I, I, I think of the Blue Mark report as having validated um, that we took this work seriously. We took our mission um, uh, uh, seriously and that the, the results that we're delivering on the impact side as well as the financial, but in that case on the impact side, are meaningful. Yeah. The, the Blue Mark actually pointed out that only 40% of funds make that link from compensation to hitting impact targets. And they kind of, you know, seem to point to that as something that the, the sector as a whole needs to work on. So that's, uh, that's super interesting that you kind of forged ahead with that. Um, and, how, and, and has, has it worked well in practice? I mean, are you finding that, that that has been an important? You know, I think it's pretty straightforward for us in many ways and for our portfolio companies in many ways, Abby, for, because as I said earlier, we've chosen areas and we tend to close deals with, uh, with, companies and founders who are pretty mission driven to begin with. Right. So the idea they don't, in most cases, I would say they haven't, have not reacted as if this was some sort of burden. And, uh, and uh, I would say in the rare case where um, there has been some adverse reaction, it's a conversation, right? They're learning, we're learning, um, we're understanding each other. I will say um, in full disclosure that the, that the nut we haven't quite cracked is how to link our own carry interest to our our um, our impact outcomes. We've looked at a couple of models. We do that, you know, with the with the with the more discretionary part, the bonus part of of right. our investor team's uh, uh, comp compensation. But we haven't really nailed that, or we hadn't at the point when I was making those decisions mm. um, as a formula connected directly to the. Uh, to the impact. I think that's one of the things that's, that's coming. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that when it, that will be a leader when the time, uh, when the time comes. Uh, so just in thinking about the portfolio today, um, I imagine a lot of the portfolio businesses are dealing with inflation high, you know, this kind of crazy inflation that we've, we're all experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the employment picture has been definitely challenging. Yeah. Um, how are you helping or how is being capital double impact helping the portfolio companies to manage that manage through this right now? Sure. Well, you know, uh, impact companies are companies like any other, right? Yeah. They're facing the same kinds of challenges that, uh, 
that others in the business world are um, and that consumers are uh, as well. I think one of the advantages we've we brought again um, by virtue of being on the uh, on the platform at Bain Capital is that we can get uh, certain kinds of business services and uh, and suppliers um, at discounted prices because we do that at scale, uh, sort of firm wide, if we will, if you will, we offer them firm uh, uh, firm wide. Um, that takes a little bit of the edge off. Often that is part of our um, our uh, playbook when we first um, uh, launch a partnership with a uh, with a company. So it's hard to go back to that just because, or just in the case of uh, a uh, uh, of an inflationary business uh, environment. But that helps. Um, we are always looking uh, for talent. In our case, I'd say mostly we're trying to help supply um, executive level uh, talent. Like everybody else, you know, we're looking for CFOs uh, and others who can help on the financing, but um, but also occasionally um, operators and in some cases CEOs, because as companies scale, uh, the demands are different. And sometimes the founder um, uh, is not the right person um, to lead the company at that stage. And she or he um, uh, often knows that. Uh, so that, you know, we have those, we have those challenges, but we have a pretty broad network that we can draw on by virtue of being a part of uh, a Bain Capital. Um, can you talk a little bit about the practice of making sure that the companies that you invest in continue to uh, have positive impact even after you've exited, right. which I think is really interesting. Um, does this require selling to another impact investor, like in the case of Two Sigma, or can it be done if a company goes public? Not uh, so. The I, the answer is yes. Again, uh, that it it can and should sustain uh, mm -hmm. as a central feature of a uh, of a company, particularly the companies that we invest in, because of the of what they do. Right. Um, I think you know if if Rodeo Dental, for example, um, uh, went public and the and and decided to you know uh, uh, move to private pay. Um, and leave behind um, the service provided to uh, to poor children. That would, I think, um, feel uh, as disappointing to the founders as as to us. I suppose that could happen, but remember, they would be walking away from what created the value in the first place, right? So this mm -hmm. idea of an impactful or mission oriented um, business having its mission fully ingrained in what it what it's about, we have found, found um, and this is, I will say, this is more impression than it is something we can measure yet, but we will measure it one day, that there is an impact premium, that there's a, a special value a company like that has when it elevates its mission and is purposeful and, uh, and, uh, and sort of lives that mission out loud yeah. um, and is measuring uh, against it, that that has a particular value uh, in the marketplace right now because of some of those secular trends I, I mentioned at the outset. Right. So I'm really hopeful about that. I think in the case of, you know, we did a, we did, I, I may have mentioned this to you when we, uh, when we met the first time, we did a deal in the large cap fund before Double Impact was fully formed, um, investing in a very mission-driven um, uh, 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 um, body um, 
soaps and 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 body wash have you said what's the term i'm losing well, the term. well, well like wellness company it's a or... wellness company but really very great sustainable family run yeah. business they sourced from um women's cooperatives in west africa and they cut out the middleman so they could improve the living conditions uh and the wealth creation on the uh, uh among the women in west africa just a beautiful beautiful uh company with a tremendous uh founder and founding family and that company was ultimately sold um, to Unilever. And part of the deal were features of the impact written into the contract, features of the, uh, uh, of the impact that would be sustained mm. during uh, Unilever's uh, ownership. And that has been the case. So that's another way uh, to think about it. And, uh, but we, I can tell you, we are thinking about how to assure that impact uh, is so central to what right. the company's about that, um, Walking away from it would be walking away from what uh, a new buyer had paid for. Right, right. That, that makes sense. Um, so I have a question from Rod, a listener who is asking, what innovations do you foresee in impact investing? Mm, that's a great, great question. Um, well, I think there are a couple that we are seeing. I think there are issues around, um, around uh, equity sharing with uh, employees or deeper into the uh, company than just the um, senior executive ranks. I think that's a really interesting, um, really interesting trend. I think that there will be more, um, this isn't quite an innovation, but I think there's going to be more scrutiny of the difference between ESG and impact yeah. and the level of impact um, integrity. So I think there's going to be more uh, innovation and how that is talked about and thought about and most importantly executed. Mm. Um, and that's a good thing, you know, more hands-on uh, uh, investing. I wonder, um, I'm not sure, but I wonder if there will be more um, sort of, if you will, single issue or single theme oh. um, funds yeah. rather than a fund like ours that has, um, uh, that is trying to cover um three different uh, themes. And I would say three different themes that aren't really overlapping or not often uh, uh, overlapping. Um, I'm not, I, I don't know whether that's a good thing or, or, or a bad thing. Um, I understand it from a, uh, from an LP's point of view. I think we'll yeah. probably keep doing what we're, uh, what we're doing. Thank you, Governor Patrick, for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate it. We learned a lot. It's great. Good to be with um, you. And to our listeners, uh, join Barron's Live again on Monday when Barron's Senior Managing Editor, Lauren Rublin, and Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, will be talking about the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and healthy. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.